You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Romans 12, 14 is where we're at today. And uh, we're just going to look at uh, verses 15 and 16 today. We're not going to read the whole, this whole section. Verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we just roll out this plan for gospel community, for just organic relationships to be formed and made, Lord, that, that we would pave an avenue for women to be included and be loved on, no matter what their schedule, no matter if they're more introverted and, and don't like to speak up in a large Bible study setting. Lord, as we just, we just as shepherds, feel just the weight of um, of just really having these gals in the flock and being loved on. Lord, would you make that happen by your spirit? And, um, and Lord, may we be sensitive to when you would lead us another direction, Lord. But we're thankful for now for these women's core groups. Let it be just a work of your spirit, Lord, that, that we'd look back and just say, God, you're so faithful. You love our women more than we love them. And uh, Lord, for today's text, Lord, as we look at this beautiful harmony, this beautiful sympathy uh, within the church, that you'd work that out in light of the mercies of God, as verse 1 says. Uh, be blessed, be loved, be worshipped, and change us, O oh God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in light of verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, uh, where Paul begs us, by the mercies of God, that we would be all in for Jesus, uh, we're prompted to a whole string of pearls, a whole lot of short, concise statements and exhortations to practically living out and behaving like a Christian. But it's always in light of, verse 1 here, the gospel. It's always in light of the beautiful mercies of God, that though we were radically depraved sinners in chapters 1 through 3, saved by grace through faith, chapters uh, 3 through 5, sanctified by grace in the power of the Holy Spirit, chapters 6 through 8, with God's sovereign intention and sovereign plan continually running in both the background and the foreground, we offer our bodies up as living sacrifices because God has been so merciful to us. So the last two weeks have been looking at much of this practical application lived out within the body of Christ, within the use of our gifts and gift sets that God has given us. And we continue on in these practical outworkings of the Holy Spirit uh, here in verse 15 as we're encouraged and exhorted to rejoice with those who rejoice. The J.B. Phillips translation tells us to share the happiness of those who are happy and the sorrow of those who are sad. Pretty fitting tonight after that Beavers or after that Beavers game last night. Huh? I just didn't even see it, but I looked on Facebook and there was just a whole lot of exclamation points in light of how the beavers did uh, last night. Some of you are like, praise God. Um, but uh, as we look at this, sharing in the happiness of those that are happy and the sorrow of those that are sad, which do you think is the harder task? 
Think about it. Is it harder to rejoice with those who rejoice? Or is it harder to weep with those who weep? There's two different people here that we can love on as Christians. We love on those who are rejoicing. And for the majority, this is the harder of the two. This is the harder. When these people have something that we want but we don't have, and they come to us with the big smile on their face or the Facebook post or the email, and they're laughing and jumping and, you know, they've got tears coming down their face because they're so overjoyed, but you wanted that. You wanted it. You wanted her. You wanted him. You wanted them. Are you really able to be overjoyed with them and to jump with cheer when they come with the announcement of a marriage or an engagement or a child, but you've been barren or the job with great benefits, a six-figure salary, and you've been unemployed for two or three years when they've been given a position of esteem or their new homeowners, are you able to cheer and share in their happiness? By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are. You are called to rejoice, even if you don't have a reason to rejoice. But our temptation is to be full of envy, to be bitter, The text here is exhorting us, don't just not envy, but rejoice with them. Don't just shut your mouth and, I didn't say anything. I didn't envy. But the command in light of the gospel is to cheer with them to jump with them, to laugh with them. You've heard the saying that sin will never take you, or excuse me, sin will take you where you never thought you'd go. It'll keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. It'll make you pay a price that you never thought you'd pay. Well, that might be true for sin. It is true for sin. It's equally as true for love. Agape love will take you where you never thought you'd go. It'll keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And agape love will cause you to pay a price, a beautiful price that you never thought you'd pay. You've been single for so long. And that dear sister friend of yours that's been single equally along finally has a bow proposed. You never thought you'd react with cheer and joy and happiness. And yet you are. And it's genuine and it's beautiful. How? How? I never thought I'd act like that. I thought I'd be bitter. I thought I'd be jealous. Oh, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit causes you to act and to behave sincerely in a way you never thought you would. You can't fake rejoicing. You can't fake it. You can't pretend. It's easy to see through hypocrisy. 
But to have that conversation with someone, I'm just so happy for you. Look at my face. (laughs) Ding! You know, a little glimmer of your tooth. Let love be genuine, we're told. I think it's verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. Those of you that are athletes, you remember when the game is wrapped up and the two teams face each other in a long line and they give each other high fives and they say, good game. Well, you remember the winning team, don't you? And occasionally you were on that team, you know? Good game, good game, good game. Woo, yeah, good game. Hey, I love you, man, I love you. You know I love you, right? Good game, good game, good game. And if you're like me, you remember being on the losing team. You know, I really didn't like you, man. Let's be honest, you were dirty out there today. You were dirty. (sighs) You know, just a fake, a hypocritical joy, a hypocritical sportsman-like conduct. To rejoice with people, to rejoice with brothers and sisters is to say, I am so glad that you got this job. I am so glad you're getting married. I'm so glad you're having a child. I'm so glad you won. I'm so glad that it's been better for you. Or let's just say hypothetically, a friend of yours and his 14-year-old son shot a bull elk on the opening day of hunting season and its horn measurements, the eye guard alone, blows the, the western record out of the water for mass. While Kevin Vaughn, Sean Vaughn, and a certain someone else had hunted in the same place a week earlier and the only living thing you saw was a dead frog and a live frog. just great Monty and Cody we rejoice with you Jesus who was single brought more joy to a wedding by contributing a wonderful gift by making a beautiful wine remember the older son though in the prodigal son story When the sun came back and the party was thrown and the fatted calf was killed, the ring was given and the garment was draped over the shoulders. How did the older son respond? Envy, bitterness, jealousy. And the story really shouldn't be called the story of the prodigal son. It's equally applicable and convicting to realize so often you're the older brother. The story of the older brother. Do you really rejoice? And the gospel always is confronting and tearing down our kingdom of self. We are so selfish. We are so self-centered. We always look at your position in the light of mine. Well, that's great. Oh, but here's me. Ah. Or ah. (laughs) Selfishness breeds that type of sin that would say, that's great that you have it. But what about me? When will I get mine? We need to get out of the center 
and put Jesus at the center, to rejoice with our brothers and sisters when blessings come, even when we want that same blessing for ourselves. We need to see it biblically in that their success is our success. Their joy is our joy. Their win is our win. And as we see here, and we'll get to in a minute, their loss is our loss. We weep with those who weep, the verse continues. So who do we love in this case? We weep with those, or we love those who are weeping. Now this seems easier because we don't envy the person who is weeping. We don't want that for ourselves. We're glad it's not me. We're glad it wasn't our children, our car that broke down, our dog that got hit. It seems easier to weep with those that weep. John Murray said, Our love of others will constrain in us the sorrow of heart which the providence of God meets out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit, God himself living in you, bringing about tears for those who shed tears. Our love of others will constrain us to sorrow of heart. It's a good verb. Because we're called to sincere love in verse 9, this love will be the basis for our weeping. Chrysostom says, For this, nature itself fulfills perfectly, and there is none so hard-hearted as not to weep over him that's in calamity. But the other, rejoicing with those who rejoice, requires a very noble soul, so as not only to keep from envying, but even to feel pleasure with the person who is in esteem. And this is why Paul placed it first, for there is nothing that ties love so firmly as sharing both joy and pain one with another. Do not then, because you are far from difficulties yourself, remain aloof from sympathizing too. For when your neighbor is ill-treated, you ought to make the calamity your own. Take share then in his tears, that you may lighten his low spirits. Have you ever done that? When someone is weeping, when someone is mourning, when someone is grieving, when someone is discouraged and disappointed and in despair, have you ever, with effort, made their spirit, your own. Made their calamity your own. Their loss of loved one, their loss of possession. We see here in verse 15, sympathy being wrapped up with a bow. We might be hard pressed to define sympathy. The Oxford English Dictionary says, sympathy is an affinity or correspondence between particular subjects enabling the same influence to affect each subject similarly or each subject to affect or influence the other. And once you hear that dictionary, you think, oh man, I need a definition to define the definition. I was better off when I thought I knew what sympathy meant. Well, let's look at it at a physiological or medical definition and it helps us a little bit better. 
a relationship between two organs in our body or parts of the body such that a disorder or condition of the one induces a corresponding condition in the other. That's what sympathy is in the body. And isn't it interesting that 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are a body. And so when one of our organs that we have a relationship with has a disorder or a condition, there will be an inducing of a corresponding condition in the other organs. Biblically, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26, we're told that the members, that's you, that's me, that's he, that's she, the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, one lady suffers, one teenager suffers, one old man suffers, one young man suffers, one baby suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored and is rejoicing, all the members rejoice with it. Now, the opposite of sympathy or empathy is a word that's very ugly. That is apathy. The opposite of sympathy is apathy, which is an absence of emotion or enthusiasm. Apathy says, I couldn't care less. Sympathy says, I couldn't care more. The expression of sympathy demands the supernatural power of God. And that is why Romans 1.1 doesn't say, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. I, Paul, an apostle by the mercies of God. You know, that's not how the book starts. The book starts by laying out the deep doctrines of the faith, the indicatives that you are fallen, that you can't do this on your own, that there is none good, no, not one, whether you're rich or poor, nice or naturally have a bent to being a bit bitter, you can't do it. And so we learn of the gospel that saves us from our fallen condition. We learn of the sanctification of the Holy Spirit that sets us apart. It's all indicative so that we have now the imperative that says, since you've been saved by grace through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit sets you apart to be conformed to the image of Christ, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We need the power of the Holy Spirit because our sinful, selfish bent will be apathetic. We will be tempted to even be indifferent. We almost plug our ears because we just can't deal with this person's whining right now. I just can't deal with this person's loss right now. I'm a busy man. I'm a busy woman. Just say the final prayer so I can get out of here. We run away from the trial or we make fun of the person weeping because it's awkward. Our selfish condition doesn't like it. When someone pours out their heart, their confession of sin, their loss of the loved one, or we gloat saying that I am so glad that's not happening to me. And so often we immediately 
go self-centered. But sympathy actually is identification with and in the experience of the other person, both in encouragement and disappointment. The joy, the high times, and the sadness, the low times. Have you ever, even intentionally, identified with the experience of another person in your church? Last week, we read that we're to distribute to the needs of the saints. Do you remember that? Verse 13, that word distribute to the needs of the saints, we learned, means to share with the needs of the saints. And it speaks of more than material possessions that need to be shared. It speaks of coming to their level, whether it's the high level or the low level, and making their experiences your own, making their poverty your own, making their job loss your own. As Hebrews says, we're to consider those that are in chains for Jesus and pray for them as if we were chained right there for them. And the gospel says we consider he who lost his job as if we had just lost our job there with him. The one who's separated from his wife as if our wife just separated from us. I have spent time in my office weeping. I have spent time in my office on my face weeping with another brother who was on his face weeping. And we have spent, I remember in this situation, we spent an hour not saying anything, but just laying on the ground in my office together. Tears pouring down. And that's not me. That's not me. You ask my sisters that I grew up with. You ask my mom. Boy, that Rory, he sure is sympathetic. Just on his face. No. That guy, you know, we used to do rock, paper, scissors to who had to, you know, mow the side portion of the lawn, you know. It was like selfish, very selfish. I'm always looking out for my own, but God, but the Holy Spirit producing sympathy, empathy in our lives. And so how do we love with the people that are weeping? We weep with them. About a month ago, we got a call about two minutes before Wednesday night Bible study started that Lynette Strobel had had some kind of a heart attack. It had been about five minutes before anybody found her. There happened to be a field fire next door and and, uh, firemen were on the scene already. But we were basically told that she wasn't going to make it. And if she did make it, she'd probably be a vegetable or something like that. And to announce that to the church on a Wednesday night, we we just wept. Many of us just wept together. We prayed, we cried. And then you know what? We, we shut down Wednesday night Bible study and we said, let's carpool. We're going to St. Charles. We're just going to go and just sit and wait in the waiting room and just love on Lynette's family and love on her. That's just part of being of the body of Christ. Do you have that in your life? Do you have people that, you know, they hear of your predicament and their lives shut down and their tear ducts start producing because they love you. Their joy is your joy. Your joy is their joy. Your sorrow is their sorrow. We're to go into the other person's world and experience their world with them. If you are human at all, you will weep with them. We ask each other in our core groups, what's the most difficult thing going on in your life? 
How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I pray for you? When we go to the hospital, when we go to the funeral, we weep, but it's costly. At times, it's getting out of our comfort zone. At times, it's spending time. There's a reason it's called spending time, right? Because it's costly. You make room for this individual. You go into their world. There are hours. There are phone calls. There are texts. There are drives. There is waiting. There's the long term where people need you most. And our self doesn't want our equilibrium upset. What Paul is saying here is budget into your life times to rejoice and budget into your life times to weep. Chrysostom said, for even if thou art not able to remove the evil, yet contribute tears and thou wilt take the worst half away. And if you be not able to increase a man's prosperity, contribute joy and thou wilt have made a great addition to it. Here is an opportunity to overcome evil with good as verse 21 tells us. Relating with people, identifying with people in their feelings. And if we don't, we exalt ourselves above them. Jesus wept with those that were weeping, even though he knew that he was going to heal the guy in two seconds. In John chapter 11, he's getting all sorts of rebukes for not making it to Lazarus in time. You should have been here, Jesus, or else you would have lived. Why are you coming late now? And it says in John eleven thirty three, when Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. I think that's the shortest verse in the Bible right there. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Man, our sympathy shows incredible Christian love, that we would be appropriate to the situation, putting the emotional condition of another person ahead of myself, sharing in experiences and thoughts and feelings, living on an emotional level with each other, even with those in the world. One man said, a sorrow shared is but half a trouble. A joy shared is a joy made double. Real Fellowship divides our grief and shares our joys when someone has a joy in life. Rejoice. And when someone weeps or has despair, you despair with them. What a world will ours be when this becomes the reigning spirit and we'll see it in fullness in the kingdom. Be of the same mind toward one another, verse 16 tells us. Don't show partiality, it speaks of. Living in harmony. There's people who love to fight and argue about everything. The number of angels that could dance on the head of a pin. But this is different than the Philippians gospel. In Philippians 2, 1 through 4, where if there's any consolation in Christ or comfort of love or fellowship in the spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, and, and it can be translated since there is consolation in Christ, since there's comfort of love, since there's fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and mercy, 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Since there is mercy in Christ, be like-minded. Be of the same mind, verse 16, towards one another. He goes on to say, and just string those pearls as we've been calling it, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Augustine said in one of his rules, do not glory in the dignity of rich parents, but in the company of poor brethren. So often we want to associate ourselves with those that are the rich, the wealthy, the highly esteemed. And we hardly give a passing glance to those in the gutter, socially, emotionally, mentally. The people that we see needing love here are those who are different than us. Socially different, they're awkward, they are poor, they are needy. But also, sometimes we fail to love on those that are above us. We fail to love on the rich, those that seem to be esteemed higher than us. Either way, there's pride. We're not to set our mind on just high, lofty things, even if that's ourself and our way of living. Matthew Henry said, Love is a condescending grace. Non bini conventian majestus et amor. Majesty and love do but ill assort with each other. True love values grace in rags as well as in scarlet. A jewel is a jewel, though it lie in the dirt. What Matthew Henry said there, that 15th century Puritan preacher, was that the love of Christ was a condescending love. And the love of Christians is condescending love. Even when David's advancements were high and life was going great, he had a humble spirit in the Psalms 131.1. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. He knew where anything good in his life had come from. It had come from grace. <clears throat> Pride is like cancer in the church. But the person who is wise in their own eyes is rarely so in front of others. As the Proverbs say, it's better than, or I don't, it might be just a worldly proverb now that I think about it. What do you say? It's better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> when we cross the line into the prideful and we begin to think more highly of ourselves, as the end of verse 16 says, where we become wise in our own opinion then we've begun to associate with high things rather than with the humble, as verse 16 charges us. So practical questions for you today is, do you feel socially superior to other people? Really, think about it. Anybody, you think you're higher than them. This would imply that other people are inferior and therefore unworthy of your time. They, they're out there, aren't they? They're out there for me. Do you look at those that are awkward or that are the outcasts, that are the lowly, 
And are they free and comfortable to talk with you? Are you approachable? Are your social lives bent exclusively on your own interests? And you can look at this by looking at your calendar. Who do you hang out with? How much time is consumed with the people you would normally not spend time with or hang out with? Or people that could do something for you in return? Show them love. Live in harmony. Socialize with them. Sympathize with them. Some think that the original word here for associating with the humble is a metaphor taken from travelers. When those that were stronger and swifter of foot would stay back for those who were weak and slow. They would make a halt and take the slower individual with them. This is how Christians must be with their fellow travelers. Associating with the slower, with the weaker, with the awkward. We need to have the same level of concern for one another across the board. Not, I'm concerned for this person. I have a little concern for this person. I'm not concerned at all for this person. My first Christmas married into the Peterson family. We got a bunch of presents and we opened them all up. And I closed the gift exchange time by saying, I love all my presents the same. Especially this one. It was a 12-volt skill drill. We need to have the same level of concern for all the brothers, all the sisters. If not, we become a yuppie. We forget chapter 12, verse 3, and you're probably there in your Bible right now, where Paul says that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly as God, by his grace, has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Jesus says so wisely in Luke chapter 12 that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And so with this not associating with the high things, the wealthy things, having a champagne appetite, but associating with the humble, being patient, bringing others along with us, we're also not to be wise in our own opinion. We are to be rock solid in our own convictions, but we're not to set our opinions in stone. There's a difference between opinion and truth from the word of God. So be cautious in your own opinions that you don't approach people with a high mind. Be teachable, be humble, be willing to hear. Wisdom, James tells us, is willing to yield. Not compromising truth, but in the open-handed issues and the methodologies of our church, be willing to yield. There's wisdom in that. Let's look at the uh, amplified version of this verse, Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive. It's funny how many different commentaries I read that use the word snob. That's just not to mark us. Snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, all-inclusive. But readily adjust yourself to people and to things and give yourself to humble tasks. Never, ever, never overestimate yourself 
or be wise in your own conceits. So how should we do this? How did God respond to me when I opposed him or when I was filthy, when I was the scum of the earth? We were enemies. We were at war with God. We wanted our stuff and not him. And he pursued us with his own son, with the life of his own son. So how and why should we do this? Because we were once and probably are the outcast. But he brought us near by his grace. Number two, why should I do this? How should I do this? We want to look at why are these people really treating me this way? And this goes back to even last week's study and blessing those that persecute us. It changes our heart. It changes them. The Phillips translation of verse 16 says this, live in harmony with one another, with each other. Don't become snobbish, but take a real interest in ordinary people. Don't become set in your own opinions. And so as the worship team comes up, we rejoice with those that rejoice. Why do we do that? Because he has given us great joy. Do you remember Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, and the subsets off of that are joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I probably forgot one. But as the Holy Spirit brings love into our life, the outworkings will be joy, will be patience, will be bearing with one another and forgiving one another, as Colossians says. If you're really upset about what somebody has now, then it's the number one sign that it was an idol for you. And God's not going to give you an idol. So confess it today. Give it up to him. We're to be lowly-minded. Condescend. Condescend. Is Jesus condescended? Someone said that the gospel is the great condescension. When heaven met earth, when the creator draped himself in flesh and gave his life for the sins of the world. If you don't have the mind that we read of today, that we spoke of today, repent. Just tell the Lord, Lord, I see what you see. You are convicting me today. I'm not these things. Lord, make me these things. And if you've never been born again this morning, if you've never been saved, then that's the first thing that needs to happen. But you can't save yourself. You'll be saved by grace, by a free gift, and by receiving that free gift into your life that the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, would indwell you and change your heart, change your mind, and make you a new creation. That's the first thing that needs to happen. And as he's in your life, even today, he convicts you and he says, hey, you know the way that you responded when your coworker closed on his house? It's not how Jesus would have responded. Oh Lord, forgive me. Oh Lord, help me to rejoice with those that rejoice. You know, when that 17-year-old girl wept about breaking up with her boyfriend and you were snickering 
That's not how Jesus would have reacted. Lord, forgive me. Give me compassion. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.